Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA. I'm your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, I'm thrilled to have as our guest, Mike Platt. Mike has been managing partner of the Platt Group since 1985 as a past executive of two accounting firm associations and co-founder of web accounting, or I'm sorry, accountingweb.com. Mike has helped large local and regional firms across North America grow and thrive. As a frequent speaker, Mike specializes in benchmarking trends, best practices of successful firms, and is a frequent presenter, speaker, and facilitator at partner retreats. Mike, welcome to the show. Randy, thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you. I've known you for uh, years just from meeting at conferences and that, and, and, and I'm thrilled to be able to sit down with you here, not face-to-face, but over a Zoom uh, uh, call here. Uh, unfortunately, nobody's going face-to-face these days, but uh, over a Zoom call to, to talk about a few things going on in our industry. The first thing I have, because I always know you and I know the Platt Group exists, but in my mind, you are inside public accounting and I know those two entities probably uh, coexist, but what, what is the uh, coexistence between them? The coexistence really is the Platt Consulting Group is the parent company. The brand that uh, and the product and the service that we provide is through Inside Public Accounting, which is what uh, everybody knows us for. Inside Public Accounting is a uh, started out as a newsletter publication in the late 1980s. Uh, it was formerly known as the Bowman's Accounting Report, for those of you who have been around for a long time. Um, and my wife and I actually own Inside Public Accounting. Uh, we purchased it from the previous owner back in 2006 and uh, have had the opportunity to uh, continue to work in the profession that we love. Uh, I've been doing, working with the accounting firms for 35 years now, uh, the last 15 in, Inside Public Accounting. All right, great. And then the name was Bowman. Is that what you said? The Bowman's Accounting Report is what it started out as from about 1987 to around 2003. Okay, I do actually think I do call that name. I, uh, I started in public accounting in 88, so it started about the same time I did, and uh, I do recall that. So, all right, so uh, that clears up in my mind with the, with the two entities. So when We're you're one out, of the same. We're one, one of the, of the same. same. So, so do you typically, when you're out at talking at conferences, are you, do you say you're there on behalf of uh, inside public accounting? Is that typically what you use? That, that is typically what it is. That, that's what, that's what everybody knows. That's the, the name of our uh, newsletter and the, all the benchmarking work that we do and all the survey work that we do is through inside public accounting. So and that's what I assume. And that benchmarking work and all that survey work I know is very valuable to a lot of firms. And, and, and it's great that, that, that you're able to put that together. Cause I don't think I've seen anything else like it out there. So good work on that. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank yep. You. Um, so a few things we want to talk about today. Obviously, we're in a, a little bit different environment <laughs> than we were uh, even, a, even a few weeks ago, um, uh, even a few months ago. And so I know that you have done a little work talking with firms in the past about you know, preparing for the next recession. At some point, it will happen. It feels like, yeah, obviously, things are going on right now, and, and this will be released, at, at this, this episode, I don't know, in two, three, four weeks. So who knows what changes in the next two or three or four weeks, but the way you and I are living right now, um, it looks like recession time. So, so what have you been doing to, to warn, I guess, firms to help prepare them, and what do they need to do? 
Well, that's a great question. Uh, Certainly for the last couple of years, public accounting firms, certainly the owners of public accounting firms have been making more money than they've ever made before. Uh, There's plenty of challenges inside the firms, both from a staffing perspective, a technology perspective, and we'll talk about all all Mm -hmm. of those things, but they've been making a lot of money. And the idea of continuing on with that level of lifestyle uh, is just, you know, it's just a natural human instinct to just expect next year is going to be the same as it was last year. Um, We are uh, officially about 11 years out of the last recession, which typically cycles in about eight-year cycles. The last couple of years, we've been asking the question uh, of firms, are they starting to think about the next recession and are they planning for it? And usually a couple of hands out of 100 go up that they're starting to think about it. Most firms, as recently as January, most of the partners of the firms that we've been talking to have said that they think that a recession was a year and a half to two and a half years away. Fast forward to where we are now, and everybody's just expecting we are sliding into a recession very quickly because of all the issues going on with the coronavirus. Our message to firms is we've all lived through the 2008 recession. There were a lot of early moves that a lot of firms made to kind of tighten their belts to uh, mitigate the effects of the last recession. And our message to firms is let's learn from what we did last time, good and bad, and try to mitigate the effects of the next recession. The one from last time was was clearly a financial infrastructure issue. This one's going to be completely different as to what the root cause of it is. And there's going to be a lot more firms uh, who are going to be hurting along with their clients um, in terms of just recovering from whatever it is that we're going for, through right now. So our, our urging is for all firms just to think about what lessons did they learn last time? If they had it to do all over again, what would they do differently? Because they might have to do that pretty quickly. It's obviously going to be a lot different than last time just because of the effects of it, the the 2008 recession. But, you know, who knows? This could be one that we come out of quick when when all the coronavirus stuff uh, um, affects. But but I think it it probably just accelerated what was inevitable and obviously inevitable because we never could. We weren't ever going to go through without another recession. Um, It just goes straight up all the time, forever and ever and ever. (laughs) I do think I, I will say this, that, you know, here we are a decade later after the last recession, and technology has made it so much easier to do so many things with so fewer people that a lot of firms who have made some major investments in infrastructure and technology already have a leg up on other firms uh, to be able to just kind of continue business as usual. You and I are sitting in our homes right now having a conversation as if we were in a studio together. And there's a lot of firms around the country right now who are sending their people home uh, to work from home. A lot of firms have been preparing for it. Uh, for a long time, and they just kind of pull the trigger and make it happen. Other firms right now are saying, you know, they, they're crossing their fingers and hoping it's going to work. Guess what? You've been training for swimming for a long time, and you've just been thrown in the deep end of the pool. Right. Yeah, so yeah. those of you who've been training, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll be in good shape. 
Yeah, I had a conversation earlier this morning with a managing partner of a firm that has nearly 600 employees, and they are a firm I consider to be very technology advanced. And they are all but about 10% at this point working from home. And he said it still was, a, you know, it's still a little struggle getting it going. So they they were a firm that I thought was ahead of the, the curve with everything. So So I'm a little concerned about firms that weren't ahead of the curve when it comes to technology, but this is going to be a quick, uh, uh, and like you said, throw them in the deep end and, and they're going to have to learn fast. Um, at least at this point, I guess I was going to say, at least at this point, business isn't stopping. It's not. Tax season has been extended, uh, sort of, kind of. Uh-huh. Sort of, kind of. <laughs> right, exactly. I think we're still waiting for some uh, guidance on on what that for sure is going to be. Um, but yeah, that, that technology end is obviously important. I, here's a question I have then. You know, I know, uh, and I think I mentioned this to you before we got on a call today, but staffing is a, a key issue that comes up all the time, and, and, it, and as it should, because it's an important thing. We, we've, we've got less people, I think, uh, looking at a career in public accounting. At least that's my impression. I don't know if you agree with that. Uh, but how's this going to affect that? Are people going to be looking to hire now? Or is, is are, are firms going to put a, a hold on hiring? And are the technically advanced firms or technology advanced firms going to be in a better shape? I, I guess multiple questions there, but what's your opinion? Sure. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, you know, there's so many things that, that uh, go into the, the complex issue of staffing within the public accounting arena. So let me try to take them one at a time. Will the future staff have the same experience and skill set as previous staff that has built the accounting profession for the last 100 years? Uh, I'd say the answer is probably no. Uh, There's going to be a completely different skill set that's going to be needed, um, much more one to work with the technology than to be the ones to, to crunch the numbers and, and know the tax code in, inside and out. Uh, artificial intelligence is going to take care of that. There's going to be much higher demand for the ability for uh, individuals to tell the story of what the numbers mean to clients, explain to clients exactly what this means for their business, and to hold clients' hands to help them get better at their businesses, both from a financial standpoint as well as a whole lot of other areas. So the really progressive firms in the profession right now uh, are really considering themselves solution providers, not necessarily accounting firms, which means they're bringing in technology people, they're bringing in HR consultants, they're bringing in marketing consultants, they're bringing in data analytics people to uh, shore up all the different skill sets that they're going to need to be solutions providers to help their clients get better. Clearly, from a demographic standpoint, there are fewer people in the workforce now than there were 30 years ago. Uh, just demographically, it's, it's, it's not there to support the kind of structure that a lot of accounting firms have been based on for for decades. Most people within public accounting firms, uh, if they're any good, can likely walk across the street, get another job for more money, uh, just because of the shortage that's out there. So that really turns the tables on the owners of the firms to really present a career opportunities, career paths, culture issues come up very strong. Let's, you know, recognizing that their people can get a job anywhere, 
And again, for likely more money, let's create the kind of environment that will attract people to our firm, which is making a lot of firms make some significant changes, both on the culture side, on the technology side, even on the ownership side. You know, when traditionally owners of public accounting firms, you'd have to wait 12 to 15 years to become an equity partner in an accounting firm. Um, And so if I'm a 25-year-old superstar, just got out of college, trying to figure out what my career is going to look like, I look at an accounting firm and say, you know, can I become an owner there and and make the kind of money that you guys make? Um, And then if I hear it will take me 15 years, you know, that's 40% of my lifetime. No, screw that, I'm off to somewhere else. So there's a lot of firms who are really providing some short-circuited ways to move people through the system quicker. And a lot of the old regimens and a lot of the old paradigms of what it takes to become a partner in a firm are changing, recognizing some of the staffing changes and staffing needs that are out there. Oh, for sure. I, I've, I've heard that before. And it, the, the one question I have then is if there is the more pay available across the street. Partners in CPA firms are paid very well. I mean, most firms, you know, most firms of, you know, of, of any size, I uh, have a very good salary. Do, do these staff that are, are looking at that uh, grass being greener across the street realize that this potential's there? Is it worth the wait for that potential? And do partners share that, what that potential is for these people, or is that something they need to do? It's a great question, and it's been a and it's been a huge pet peeve of mine for years that we don't do a very good job of painting the potential income opportunities within public accounting to the people that we want to attract, uh, both from people who are not currently on staff as well as the the people on staff that we want to hold on to. I think the the idea of sharing income opportunities and what what does a net income per partner mean in public accounting today, uh, it seems to be a pretty big secret Mm -hmm. um, that owners hold on to and they feel embarrassed by sharing it with staff. They don't want to make it look like they're making that much money. They certainly don't want their their clients to know how much money they're they're making. I've heard managing partners of firms saying, you know, I'm keeping my Tesla in my garage and, you know, driving my Nissan to work because I really don't want to look like I'm making so much money. And, And I get that and I understand that. However, if someone is being lured across the street, if you've got a superstar manager, as an example, who's making $125,000 a year, and they get an opportunity across the street for $150,000, that's a pretty big jump for them. And they get it's easy for them to jump across the street. What they're not hearing is if you stick it out, if you put your dues in, if you make this a career within this firm, you can easily make Three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars in this firm. So they're they're losing out on the on the big term gains in order to get the short term gains. And public accounting firms and the owners of public accounting firms, I think, is doing a very very poor job uh, of sharing that information. Um, some of the the statistics that we have collected over the years even suggest that half the firms don't even tell their staff, you know, how big is our firm from a, from a revenue perspective, right? which is kind of crazy. You know, the inside public accounting publishes a list on our website available for free that you can go on and see 
the 400 largest accounting firms in the country, what's the name of the firm and what's the revenue number? And among those 400 firms, half the firms don't share those numbers with their staff. It's crazy. Uh, and then, you know, you look at all the other more um, sensitive information, whether that is utilization numbers or realization numbers, revenue per hour or net income of the firm, uh, it, it just gets, the numbers get smaller and smaller and smaller. One quick anecdote yep. for you. I have an opportunity every year to give a presentation to a group of managers for an association who are thinking about whether they want to go on a partner track or not. And I get come I come in to explain to them how an accounting firm makes money, what are the how are all the pieces connected to each other and what are some of the the key metrics that they ought to know about. And when I first did this, I started off with assuming that a lot of the managers at that level understood a lot of the, the, the fundamentals of how an accounting firm works. And I just saw deer in the headlights uh, when I was talking about this. And so I finally asked the question, does anybody have any idea what the income opportunity is as a partner in, this, in the public accounting profession? Forget about your firm, just in the profession in general. Right. And out of 120 people in the room, I had about seven hands go up that they knew kind of what the, the numbers looked like. And then my next question was, well, would you be interested in a back of the napkin formula to figure out average partner income in your firm? Of course, 120 hands go up yep. right then. I then gave them just a really quick formula for them to be able to calculate what the average was. They stopped listening to me for the next couple minutes as they're working out these numbers. And then, you know, the next question obviously is, you know, are you surprised by the numbers you're looking at? And certainly about three quarters of the people in the room were thought that the number was uh, significantly higher than what they, the, the number that they had in their own mind was significantly lower than what their calculated number was. And they were, they were pleasantly surprised by that number. And their question to me is, you know, how come nobody's telling us this? And, you know, my question back to the partners is, how come nobody's telling you this? I agree. I, I I think that's that's a key factor that needs to be shared. Uh, I think that the days of keeping all that stuff secret have should have been gone long ago. I think it's somewhat maybe, and maybe I'm wrong. You can you can let me know. I think it's somewhat should, of a generational thing too. I think you know millennials and that want to know more information. They're data driven in general. It seems like anyways than my generation of baby boomers where, you know, our parents and, and, and weren't sharing that information. And it's probably just a generational thing. I, I, you think so? or I, I absolutely think it's a generational thing. And uh, transparency means a whole lot more today than it, than it did before. Um, interestingly, about five years ago, we did a study uh, in partnership with Convergence Coaching. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of firms out there would recognize that name. We asked 700 young professionals kind of what their perspective on the accounting profession was and what do they want more of? What do they want less of? What kind of information do they want to share with the owners of these firms? We've got some fantastic information that came back. And coming out of that, uh, we identified seven questions young professionals are asking, uh, just kind of boiled down out of the 700 uh, feedback that we got. Um, so let me share with you really quickly just the, the seven questions that they're, they're really hungry for. Yep. Number one, what does the firm expect from me? You know, they want their firms to tell them, you know, what are, what are the expectations? Line it up and spell it out for me. Number two, what is the path to partnership? 
if I wanted to become a partner, what do I need to do? And what do I need to not do? And what do I need to change as I'm developing in my career? Number three, how did current partners make it? How did you, as the baby boomer who's been a partner in this firm for 30 years, when you became, when you got into public accounting, you were young like I am today. You had a young, a young family. How did you deal with the, the work-life balance? How did you deal with everything that you needed to go into? Was it that different 30 years ago than what it is today? How did you make it in there? Number four, what are the paths for advancement? If I don't want to necessarily become a partner, what other opportunities do I have uh, for going forward? And what do I need to do to show you how to go forward, uh, that I can make it forward? Number five, where are we going as a firm and why are we going there? So they really want to you know, dig deep into the why of the firm so that they feel like there's something that they can connect to other than just we're all here to make money. Number six, are we growing and are we profitable? Everybody wants to be on a winning team and everybody wants to know, is the firm meeting the, the goals that, that, that uh, they had? Are we growing? Do, you know, are we on a winning team? And then, you know, finally, are we on track? You know, whether we're looking to grow 5%, 10%, or 30%, are we doing what we're looking to do? Are we on track? Are we meeting our budgets? And if we are, great. If we're not, what can I do wherever I am in the firm to help us achieve those, those uh, targets. So those are seven questions that, that kind of came through and it goes right to the issue of sharing the metrics and being open and being transparent with everybody that they want to contribute, they want to connect, they want to connect with the purpose of the firm, they want to connect with uh, the, the opportunities that the firm presents and uh, I really do think that partners really need to rethink the idea of uh, we're not going to share this information because that's for partners only. Right. Sounds like a playbook of how uh, to build a successful firm and uh, and, and keep people uh, excited and with you if you can share that information, if that's what they're looking for. I mean, uh, to me, I'm assuming that you go out and preach that when you're talking with firms, right? I do. I do. And it's not rocket science. I mean, right. It's, it, one of the one of the things that we recognize also in you know in successful firms uh, a very small percentage of staff are the superstars who really carry the day uh, and what we see in a lot of firms are, are is that the the partner group spends an inordinate amount of time dealing with the younger with the less performing people you know, the, the, the people who are dragging along or who need some kind of supervision issues, and they almost leave the superstars alone and don't interact with them, don't engage with them, don't encourage them because they just figured, you know, they don't need it. They're superstars. They can, they can do it. And it's, it's these superstars that are pulling everybody behind them forward. And those are the people you really want to hold on to. Right. So, you know, we've, again, been tracking a lot of issues uh, dealing with staff turnover uh, over the years. And the numbers have been going up and down and voluntary versus involuntary turnover. But one thing that most firms are not doing is measuring uh, of the people who are leaving, how many of those are the superstars that we really didn't want to walk out the door versus those who, you know, thank God they're finally gone. <laughs> and yeah. and so every firm's got that to, to deal with. So I, I do think that paying more attention to the superstars, engaging them, uh, sharing with them a lot more information will help the entire firm 
and will really help uh, keep people engaged. Yeah, I think I saw a quote from you somewhere. Uh, I was looking online today where it talked about what if partners were, and I, I don't remember the word you used, you know, uh, got a demerit or, or something like that for not keeping their superstars. And I'm assuming right. that's, yeah. So that's right. obviously an important thing. If you got a superstar and you want to grow a firm and you want to be successful, it's obviously good. To so, keep you know, my big, my big message is don't, don't assume that because they're really good at what they do, they don't need interaction with you as a partner. Right. Um, those are the people you really, 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 really want to nurture um, and, and keep them engaged and, you know, find out about them, you know, find out about what's going on in their life, how, you know, their family issues, whatever it might be, just find a couple of key pieces to just to stay connected and stay sticky with those part with those superstars. Well, that's great. So, so I think that was a, a great uh, uh, way that we went with that discussion. The one thing that I wanted to touch on, and this may tie into what we were talking about there, because uh, you and I talked briefly before we started recording, uh, that there has been a decline in equity partners as a percentage of all partners. Is that tie in with everything we're talking about here, or how? why is that? Yeah, so over the years, so if we go back about 15 years, um, and, and I'll, I'll focus primarily on the, the 100 largest firms, because it's, okay. it's an easy tar- it's an yep. easy target group. and. Uh, to talk about. About 15 years ago, what we found was roughly 80% of all partners in a firm were equity partners, and there were very little uh, in terms of non-equity partners. And, you know, about 10 or 12 years ago, non-equity partners started entering into the profession as as a spot on the organizational chart. For some, that was a stepping stone to equity partnership, uh, and a way to retain some of those superstars who weren't quite ready to become equity partners, but we wanted to promote them and give them the, the title of partner without all the responsibilities and all the risks and all the opportunities that are associated with that. So in some firms, uh, non-equity partners were stepping stone up. In some firms, it was a kind of a, we, you're not going to ever become an equity partner in this firm, but we want to hold on to you, so we're going to make you a non-equity partner. And over the last 10 years, the, the number of non-equity partners has grown faster than the number of equity partners. So today, in the top 100 firms, about two-thirds of partners are equity owners, and one-third are non-equity owners. And that number has been slowly going down and down and down year after year, just a little bit, but enough to be noticeable. And part of that leads to a longer track toward equity partnership. Part of that is a a consolidation of power uh, and consolidation of of ownership within those firms. Um, And so the non-equity position, I think, has become kind of the the target for a lot of people in the public accounting profession uh, who might not want a lot of the risk and liabilities associated with it. So it's it's a staffing mechanism and it's a stepping stone towards equity partnership. But the reduction, uh, I think, will continue. There are some firms where that number is down below a third of all partners or, or equity partners. And wow. when you kind of look around at the governance of the firm and some of the decisions that are being making being made in the firm, it gets concentrated down into a smaller percentage of those partners. Is it somewhat part of that employee just not wanting that that equity partner track, or is it more just that's as far as they're going to go? I, I think it's it, there's probably a combination. Um, some employees don't want to have all the responsibilities, but they want to be a partner in right. name. Some people, it's a 
it's a ceiling that the firm is putting on saying, you know, this person doesn't have all the qualities and all the skills of an equity owner, but they, they can function as, as more than just a manager and that's a permanent spot for them. Um, and again, in some cases, it's a, it's a almost like an apprenticeship towards equity partnership. Right. So it's right. all over the map. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, that that's great. I, I, I think we will start to wrap up. I didn't know if there's anything that you wanted to uh, highlight before I, I start to, uh, I got, until I start to ask you one final question that I'm very interested in, but anything else that you'd want to highlight before we go there? Uh, I, I do think that uh, one of the things that we had just briefly talked about early on was the um, the non-CPAs yes. that are coming into CPA firms. Uh, and that's something that we've seen growing significantly over the last couple of years as firms are expanding their service base. Uh, our numbers show the last year out of about 500 firms that did our inside public accounting survey, about 25% of all the professional staff have no intention of ever becoming a CPA. Hmm. And in some firms, that number is well above 70%. Wow. And so that just, it, it brings on so many issues for management, for training, for evaluation, for equity ownership. What do you do with you know a data analyst coming into the firm? What kind of continuing education do they need? Right. What's their career track? So there's going to be a a growing number of people coming into the accounting profession who will have absolutely no intention of ever becoming a CPA. We're watching that. AICPA clearly is watching that because that's where a lot of their bread and butter is coming from. Right. That's true. Um, and firms are just taking on a little bit of a different uh, flavor as those other disciplines come on board. So it's an exciting time I think for people to come into public accounting firms, because it's not just about the numbers. It's right. not just about accounting. It's not just about tax. And it's just not about audit anymore. And so there's so many different opportunities. I really do believe that uh, if you are coming out of school today and trying to figure out, uh, you know, career-wise, what are some of the, the places to go to, I would certainly point to the accounting profession as a bright spot in, in the landscape of uh, where some bright people can go. Uh, to make a great career. No, I, I agree completely. And it, like you, like you had said, uh, the, the the fact that they are branching into these all these other services and becoming, you know, what a lot of firms are calling themselves as an advisory firm rather than a, a CPA firm or a CPA-led advisory firm. I just, yeah, there's so many opportunities. You could be in in so many different disciplines and and, and work in uh, public accounting. So it's exciting. Sure. I agree. All right. So I love the way we went with that. That was great. The one thing that I want to ask, and I always end on a, a fun fact. And when I was with you, and I think we're at, I, I honestly, I think we're in Vegas. I don't recall. We were at a conference recently uh, last year, and you started talking about your involvement. And in, is it called Hero Flight? Or, um, it's the Honor Flight Honor program. Flight. Yeah. And, and so can you tell us how you got involved and what you're doing with that? Sure. Thanks for asking about that. It, it's, it's definitely a, a passion project for me. The, uh, the Honor Flight is a nationwide organization with chapters all over the country that raise money to send veterans to Washington, D.C. for a day to go to their monuments. It was built primarily for World War II veterans. Uh, and as those numbers are dwindling, it is expanded to Korean veterans and now Vietnam veterans also. Uh, I've been involved with that group for about eight years now in Indianapolis, where I live. Uh, and just 
had an opportunity to to really stumble across one of the fundraisers that they were doing and had an opportunity to meet some of these guys uh, who just, you know, they're, they're old men when you, when you sit down and talk to them or, or before you sit down and talk to them, you just kind of see them as, you know, 85, 90 year old people. <clears throat> and then they start telling you these incredible stories about, you know, being in Pearl Harbor when, when Pearl Harbor was bombed or being in the battle of Midway or, uh, in, I talked to a guy who was a Marine in Iwo Jima. Uh, and he said, you know, that picture that, that, uh, with the flag is like the picture he goes yeah i was at the bottom of the hill when they were doing all that uh when they had that picture taken so these people have just incredible post-hand stories so yep. i had a terrific opportunity to uh to be a guardian for a couple of world war ii veterans going to washington for uh for the day and uh to this day these are people that I've stayed in touch with. These are people I was assigned to as a guardian. I've stayed in touch with them. Uh, they live locally here. We, we go out to dinner with them on a regular basis. And they're just they're great people. And it's an entire generation that never really had an opportunity to, to share their stories. And it's only you know, as they're facing their, their final days that they're opening up. Uh, so this honor flight program, which is all over the country, uh, is certainly just an exceptionally rewarding program for me as as a you know a buff of history a world war ii buff people that i know and in my family who were involved with it uh and it's just getting to know these people firsthand is, is incredible and you know the world war ii generation they're in their early 90s at the, at the youngest right but uh they still got plenty of spunk, spunk in them and they got plenty of stories and uh oh, if yeah. you've never had an opportunity to sit down and talk to some of these guys and women yep. uh, who, who served during the war they've got some just incredible stories to tell and they're just not old people in nursing homes no they're, no they're not at all incredible stories yeah, my, my grandfather uh, passed away in 2013 at the age of 95, I think, and he was in World War II, and I had, was able to hear uh, some stories and just to hear what they what they did in that generation. It was amazing. So I really uh, commend you for doing that, and I think that's an awesome thing. Um, uh, a couple things uh, before we find, do a final close here. If people want more information on you, on, on Mike Platt, on Platt Group, on Inside Public Accounting, how can they uh, uh, look you up, get a hold of you? Sure. Come on to uh, InsidePublicAccounting.com. Uh, it'll tell you all about the different uh, services that we provide. We do a lot of different uh, surveys and benchmarking, which really is our specialty, to help firms really uh, find areas that other firms are doing better in and providing best practices, looking at what the best of the best firms are, are doing out there. And, you know, the, the surveys on financial and operational benchmarking and firm administration and human resources and information technology. And, you know, recently we've added cultural assessments really to help firms measure where they are today, find out what other firms are doing to be better. And our whole focus on is on helping firms get better uh, at what they do with the whole intent of, you know, helping partners live better lives, helping their staff live better lives and have better careers, and ultimately helping the clients grow and thrive and do what they want to do. So it's a, it's a fantastic 
cause for us that we really, again, take as a passion project. Data is invaluable. So all that data that you're available to provide people, obviously, uh, is extremely important. Um, and then finally, uh, if people want to find out more information on the Honor Flights, uh, is there a, a web page they can look at that? Uh, yeah, so there's, if, if you look at the, uh, the National Organization for Honor Flights, and let me just Google it real quick. Well, uh, it's the honorflight.org uh, is the address. Um, and they've got, again, chapters all over the country. Look it up. Um, I'm connected to the Indie Honor Flight uh, program. But uh, again, it, it is something that everybody ought to take a look at. And if you've got family members who were serving in either World War II or Korea or even in, in the Vietnam War, consider applying for one of these flights. There's zero cost to the veteran. Everybody I've talked to who has gone on this flight was very skeptical of that. And they were all expecting for the big ask for money at the end of it. So the, the you know, as an example, the guy that I that I was guardian for, um, when I picked him up to go to Washington, I told him leave his wallet at home, bring your bring your ID and that's all you need. He was very skeptical about the entire thing, but he will now be a grand spokesperson for the fact they don't want your money and they wouldn't take your money at all. So uh, look it up in, in your local community and get involved if you can. That's awesome. Well, well, Mike, again, I really appreciate you being on here today. I think that information was invaluable and, and hopefully uh, uh, people will uh, look at the data you have available and, and be able to even get more educated. At this point, I'm going to sign off. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Uh, you can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Uh, remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode, where we will bring you another interesting guest and hear their stories and insights.